Thank you, Mel, for reading God's word for us. Uh, good to be with you, Shelton. Before I open up the word of God, let me add a couple of housekeeping items as well. As Pastor Shem mentioned, it is our joy to affirm him, God's calling in his life. So tonight, if you're able, come on out. After the service, we'll also meet and greet, so you get to shake the Reverend John Shepherd after the service. <laughs> so come on out at 6 p.m. tonight as well. And also, it's a thankful season. Uh, the day before Thanksgiving, we will gather at the church on 7 p.m. on Wednesday to share all that God has done in our lives. So if you are able, come on out on Wednesday, 7 o'clock, the day before Thanksgiving, as we gather together as a church to share all that God has done for us. All right, today we continue our studies in the book of Ephesians. I hope and pray that this series has been edifying in your life as it has been a bit begin to be convicting even more and more and more in my life as well. If you remember last week, we celebrated this, this wonderful baptism service and Pastor Bill brought the word of God of second half of Ephesians chapter 4, which is really talking about Christian ethics. Because we have been redeemed by God, our call is to put off our old self and put on our new self in holiness, in righteousness, in obedience. That message is continue in today's section as well. For the preaching calendar purpose, we have separated these two sermons, but really last couple of weeks' sermon really is part one and part two. First, the second half of chapter four and the first half of chapter five is really one unit talking about Christian ethics. And after all that has said and done, Paul ends this section in last paragraph, verse 15, by saying, be careful then, be careful therefore, how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. After all that I have said and done, be careful how you live. Live wisely. Don't live foolishly, unwisely. So the question that Paul is asking, Shelton, do you live wisely? How do you live wisely? Really, living wisely involves two things. If, you, if I can simplify that, one is really right, know, to know what is right and wrong, and really living out what is right. The question of morality that we have been talking about, the biblical ethics. At the same time, we will discuss that intensively because Paul dives into that, continues to do that. At the same time, wisdom goes beyond that. 80% of decisions that you are making in your life doesn't really apply the morality of what is right and wrong. Where are you going to retire? What are you going to do in your retirement? What kind of school are you going to send your kids to? Private school? Public school? Christian school? What career will you choose? Those kinds of wisdom questions doesn't necessarily apply the morality of what is right and wrong, but it nonetheless requires the wisdom from God to make wise choice. So first and foremost, foremost we must know what is right and wrong and living out what is right and seek wisdom from God in all that we do. So if I may summarize the entire thing that Paul is about to say in this section that we are about to study today, first half of chapter 5, really, Paul is asking, how do you live wisely? Paul's answer is for us to turn from lust to light by exposing darkness 
and embracing wisdom. That's Paul's thief statement in this section. How do you live wisely? And his answer is for us to turn from lust to light by exposing darkness and by embracing wisdom. That's what we are going to study. And I pray that as we dive in, that we shall never be just hearers of the word, that we shall never just be entertainers of the word. Oh, that was good. Thanks be to God. Let me go out doing my thing. No, may we truly be the doers of the word because what we are about to dive in, Paul's really calling us out. You're about to see that may our life truly turn from lust to light by exposing darkness and embracing wisdom. So three things that we will learn today. Eliminate lust, expose darkness, embrace wisdom. Eliminate lust, verse 3 to 7. Expose darkness by illuminating light. Expose darkness by illuminating light, verse 8 to 14. And lastly, third, embrace wisdom, verse 15 to 20. So let's go by one by one. First, eliminate lust. Now, notice how Paul begins in verse 3. The reason why I say it's going to be convicting for us, this message is not a message for you to say, oh man, I am doing so much better than the world. Look at me, I'm the light. No, what does it say? But among you. Paul is nothing but among them in the world. But among you, among right around us here, he's addressing to all of us that this message shouldn't be, oh yeah, I'm not doing that like the world. I'm doing so much better. No, may the Lord convict you fully because he's addressing it to right we are, to the church of Ephesus, to the church of Chelton. Now look at, how he goes about doing that. When you read verse 3 and 5, he, lo- he talks about there should not be even a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or of any greed. The first thing I want you to notice the unity in biblical ethics. First, when I was reading it, verse 5 repeats the same thing, immorality, impurity, and greedy. I'm like, how does greedy fit in this thing? I think Paul is talking about sexual immorality, impurity, and greed, Paul is here talking about sex and money. Yet Paul lumps all that together. When you think about the world, it's not hard to find two polarizing ideologies in the world. Like there is one group of people that says, you know, don't tell me anything about my sexualities. I can do whatever I want with my body. I can do whatever I want with my sexuality. Don't enforce me. Don't regulate me how I exercise my sexuality. Oh, but we need to do justice. We need to spend more money here. We need to work on, work on equity. While they are tight on one end or thinking about one end, another one's rather loose. On the other side, there's another group of people that says, you know, another group of ideologies that often talk about, oh, yeah, don't touch me anything about my money. It's my money. It's free enterprise. I've earned it. But we need to much more with the sexuality. This is wrong. That is wrong. The world is polarized by their ideologies and ideas. But is that what Paul does? When you look through the Bible, it actually lumps all that together often. Whether it's impurity, immorality, and greed. Why does Paul do that? Because there's no loophole for any of us. In the end, one commentator defines greed as ruthless and aggressive self-seeking. Your, whatever it's the material possession or whether it be financial possession, 
We use it for our own means and our for glory. And when you think about that, it is no different with the sexuality too. We'll dive in much more as we dive in next week, second half of Ephesians 5 about marriage and family. But when the marriage and family, sexuality is exercised within the proper God's boundary that God has called us, it is all about self-giving. That's how your marriage can flourish. If you've been married for a long time, you know, sometimes conflict begins by the something trivial, and then as you assert your opinion, I am right. Who are you to tell me that? It exaggerates, goes on. You don't even remember what the conflict was all about in the end. But the biblical design of marriage and family, sexuality is all about giving of ourselves in the proper boundary that God has designed for the flourishing of your partner. Same thing. Yet, when we are talking about greed and all that, oftentimes we hoard that. We are like, it's all about me, my money. In the end, whether it be sex or money, deeply rooted in the ruthless and aggressive self-seeking. It's all about me. And Paul calls that, that's idolatry, verse 5. Even the way you express yourself, coarse joking, foolish talk, it's about aggressively expressing yourself for the glory of yourself. And when we talk about sexuality, you know it. There's no escape hole in that. You know when you're having impure thought. You know when you're misusing the internet. You know your emotional affair, physical affair. It's hard to miss that. God forbid. At the same time, we don't really talk about greed much, do we? While the sexual sins, we know it pretty well within us. But when we talk about greed, I once read an article, I think I don't remember which journal it was, talking about how we always tend to think we are one economic class lower than we are. If you think you're middle class, you really are upper middle class. Because we always tend to compare ourselves, oh, someone I can go better, more of affluent. If you think you're upper middle class, you are actually pretty comfortable more than that. If you consider yourself comfortable, you're actually pretty rich. Because we always compare ourselves, man, I wish I could have a little better. While we know, man, God, I am struggling sexually, impurity and all, none of us think we are greed. None of us think we are being materialistic. But why oftentimes do we think money is all our position? Why do we seek ends meet just with our money? In the end, it's all rooted in the ruthless self-seeking. So where are you? I told you this sermon will not be easy sermon patting in our back. Perhaps some of you guys might feeling like, oh man, Jen, yes, I know I may struggle sexually. I know I may be impure thought. I know I'm lustful man and woman. But I give my money to church. Well, how are you seeking yourself? Even then, your lustful thought and all that is in the end, it's all self-seeking, self-pleasure, self-consummation when it's not exercising within God's boundary. Or perhaps some of you guys might say, oh, Jen, I, I don't really give my money to, or I, it's my possession, but I'm really pure before the Lord. I don't really struggle. I never had a physical affair, emotional affair. Why are you hoarding your money, thinking that's all your own? Why do you obsess over money as if that's your own security in your life? Both and there's no petting in our backs that, oh, I'm doing so much better than I think I am. 
But Paul's calling all of us out. As a redeemed people of God, there shouldn't be any place for immorality, impurity, or greed, foolish talk, coarse joking in a way that we go about. In the end, it's all rooted in our self-seeking, the ruthless, aggressive self-seeking, whatever it looks like. It's the self-pleasure pursuit. So, Shelton, how are you doing today in that? Because in the end, regardless of its format, those are idolatry. And as a people of God, there is no room for that. In a moment after sermon, we'll partake in communion as a people of God together. Today would be a really good day for you to really examine your heart. If you think, oh yeah, I don't really struggle with any materialism, greed. Why do you hoard time all yourself? If you think, oh, I really haven't really sinned this sexually, morality, impurity, check your heart today. Examine your heart before the Lord because as a people of God, Paul's calling for us to eliminate that. Don't do anything. Don't partner with them. Don't deceive yourself, verse 6 and 7. There's no room in our hearts for that. So first, eliminate lust. Second, expose darkness by illuminating light. Uh, I am so glad that Pastor Shev welcomed many of you, perhaps, who are not even Christian, visiting here for the first time, because you are welcomed here in this gathering. But you might have already been turned off already. I was like, oh, man, I picked the perfect Sunday to come. <laughs> I knew Christianity is a bunch of do's and don'ts. Uh, it chokes me. Oh, I knew this pastor would tell me all the things, right thing, wrong thing. Oh, I don't like this Christianity thing. Well, I ask you to stay with us a little more. Because Paul's rationale really isn't much of as much as it sounds like, do this, don't do this. But Paul's rationale really isn't that. What I mean by that, Paul will really tell you just in a moment as you are diving in this second section is that his rationale is just do this, don't do this. It goes much deeper than that. Paul's rationale is be true to your redeemed self. That's what Paul will be saying. Notice in verse 8, how does Paul begin this section? Does Paul say, once you were in darkness, but now you are in light? Is that what Paul says? No, he doesn't say, once you were in darkness, now you're in light. No, he doesn't say, you are in darkness, you were darkness. Darkness was in you, in other words. That was yourself without the Lord. Darkness was within you. This is talking more about your identity more than the placement. So while we are filled with the darkness, we think, and now we are light. It's not just we are hanging out with the light. We become light in Christ Jesus as redeemed self. So Paul is not saying just do it or don't do it. He's saying now that you are light, act like light. Be true. May your true being Light in Christ Jesus should match your doing. There should not be chasm between your being and doing. You say you are light in Christ Jesus and act all kind of impurity, immorality, greed, foolish talk. That's just their disconnect. There's disjoint in that. May your doing should really flow out of your being, the light in Christ Jesus. That is Paul's rationale. For your once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. May you, the way you conduct your life should really match how Christ has redeemed you. And what, does you, what, what do you do when you realize that there's really a chasm between your being and doing? You know who you are in Christ but your life truly don't match that. What do you do about that? Verse 11, Paul says what? 
have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather what? Expose them. How? Verse 13. Everything that is illuminates becomes light. In the surface, when we read this verse, we might think expose really means just uncover. And that is, you're correct. That's what it means, uncover, bring it to light. But it actually means much more than that at the same time. When you examine the root word meaning of this word, just like good old King James translates this word as reprove, that expose means prove with evidence. The way you live your life, the way you bear fruit, prove who you are, whether you are light or darkness. Watch the fruit of light, verse 10, verse 9. For the fruit of light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. That's what Pastor Bill elaborated last Sunday in the second half of the chapter 4. That we put on new self in holiness, in righteousness, in a way that we live our life in obedience. But what is the fruit of darkness? Verse 11. Fruitless deeds. Just a bunch of doing that is completely fruitless. So Paul is not calling us for simply external conformity, behavior modification. But Paul is asking us to go all the way deep. Know who you are in Christ. You are the light. Christ is the light of the world. And Christian means Christ follows. So we are the little light. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. That's what Paul is calling us to do. But often we are so focused on our fruitless deeds of external behavior conformity that we don't get to really check within our hearts what is underneath of it all. About a decade ago, I lived in Dallas attending seminary. A friend of mine from seminary is now happily married, have a few kids. And one day he shared that he wanted to change his carpet. Because, you know, if you are raising young kids, you know how kids can stain carpet all the time. So he's like, oh, man, my carpet's really getting ugly and dirty. I'm going to change the carpet. So this time he was so sick of all the stains in the carpet. He's like, this time I'm going to get the stain-resistant carpet. That's what I'm going to get. So he called a sales rep. A sales rep comes with a bunch of samples of carpet. And he's like, I picked that one, the most expensive, nicest stain-resistant because I'm tired of a stain. So he was willing to spend money to buy stain-resistant carpet. But then sales rep, he said, continued by saying, well, what about the carpet pad underneath? And he thought, this guy's trying to rip me off. Who cares about what is underneath? That's not sin. I'm paying my premium bucks for the stain-resistant carpet. Just give me the cheapest carpet pad. Nobody sees that. And then he, sales rep continues, well, you might want to rethink that. And he asks, have you ever cleaned the carpet, but somehow, some way, when the pressure is applied, have you seen the stain coming right back up? And he's like, yeah. And then the sales rep said, carpet pad works like a sponge. Even if you clean so well your external surface, when the pressure is applied, because what is soaked up underneath the carpet pad comes right out. So if you really want to have the stain-resistant carpet, you must have a premium stain-resistant carpet pad as well. And then when he shared this story, I realized that's so much of what Paul is talking about. We are so focused on, I want the stain-resistant carpet external deeds, the fruitless deeds. As long as my externality is going fine, I'm fine. But what Paul is saying, no, go underneath. Expose what is dark within you. Have not exposed, illuminated by light. Because if you just polish your external carpet, 
without going underneath the carpet of the carpet pad, what is in your heart will just come ugly and ugly. Expose darkness, what is it within you. Turn from lust to light by exposing darkness. Oftentimes, we are so busy hiding that. Chelton, isn't it relatively easy to come to church on Sunday morning, put up great facade face? Nobody really knows how ugly your heart is. We think, I'm great. It's relatively easy. Yes, I prepared the sermon. Now I'm presenting this word of God. But how is my heart? How is your heart, Chelton? This sermon was not an easy sermon for me to prepare. God, I'm about to deliver the word of God. And Paul is calling me to be pure. There should be no room for immorality, lust, greed. I look at my own heart. I am busy just polishing, polishing my carpet while underneath the carpet pad is ugly and saturated with all the sins. Children, expose darkness. There's no shame in that. In fact, that's the thing that very God calling all of us to do. Expose darkness, what is within you, and help you May the Lord truly help you to be truly your redeemed self. Because don't aren't you tired of just performing, putting a facade? Bring out that to light. And may the Lord sanctify you through and through that there shall not be any chasm between our being and doing. If you are the light in Christ Jesus, let us walk in light. Expose darkness. There shouldn't be any room for darkness among us. Now, Paul has been talking about how shall we live our life wisely. First, we must know what is right and wrong and live what is right. Turn from lust to light by exposing darkness and also what Paul goes on by saying, by embracing wisdom. Read verse 15 to 20. When you look at that, when you go verse 15, what does Paul say? Therefore, after all that he has Paul said, for second half of chapter 4 and first to chapter half of chapter 5 be very careful therefore then how you live not as unwise but as wise so here paul used encourage us about how pay attention to how you live go back to verse 1 and 2 how paul began this chapter follow god's example therefore as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love just as christ loved us and gave himself up for us here, the translation of NIV takes liberty to help us understand. He translates the word walk and live. Walk in verse 2, verse 15 as to live. But those two are actually exactly the same word. Even verse 8, when Paul says, live as children of light, the live is also the same word as walk. Then why does Paul use the metaphor of walk? The walk in wisdom. See, when you walk, you don't really think that's what you do in most mundane, ordinary, private, public. Paul doesn't say, be careful then how you somersault. Be careful how you backflip. When you backflip, when you somersault, you perform. You put a show. That's performance. But Paul is saying, be careful how you walk. That's something that you, you do every day in and out, even without thinking about it. That's your most private moment, most public moment that no one else knows. Do you really walk wisely in your most mundane, ordinary? I'm not talking about Sunday morning, church. We all look great. You look great this morning, church. But in your private, in your most mundane, ordinary life, 
Is your life really filled with wisdom in a way that you walk with the Lord? It's easy for us to perform. No, it's really hard for us to perform. But what Paul is calling us, way you walk in your most mundane, ordinary life, may we walk in wisdom. And how do they do that? How are we supposed to do that? When Paul goes by saying, he says, but not as unwise, but making the most of every opportunity. It literally means to redeem and buy back. Way you live your life, as the psalmist said, teach me to number my days so that I may gain heart of wisdom. Do you live really each day, each moment wisely before the Lord? And Paul contrasts that by saying, don't be like foolish, verse 7, but understand what the Lord will is. Do you know what the fools really are, unwise are? Fools think there is no connection between private and public. Fools think you can do whatever you want and no one will find out. Fools think there is no connection between past, present, and future. It's all separate. You can do however you want it. But when you read verse 18, what does Paul say? Do not get drunk on wine, which lead to debauchery. You know what Paul means by that? In this ancient time, actually, wine was more safe than water. Water, if you live there for a long time, there's bacteria, there's contamination. But wine, you can preserve it as long as you want. So wine was, in a sense, a stable. It's a staple. It's good. You can consume that. But even the good as wine is, if you just consume it too much, it will lead to drunkenness. And then the drunkenness lead to debauchery. One action lead to another action to another action. But fools don't think about that. This is a good thing. I'll just consume it all I want. Drunkenness, debauchery. But wise understand the connection between one to another event and to another event. So how do you live today, Shelton? Do you really live wisely? Knowing the way you walk with the Lord, you're not just putting up a show. God forbid. That is so tiring. Aren't you tired? Sometimes you just have to put up a smile, act like you're fine. How are you, Jin? Oh, I'm fine. Thank you. No, how are you really? (sighs) Are you really willing to hear my darkness within me? That kind of vulnerability, when you expose, wisdom begins from that. Walk as wisely as you can. I still remember when I was in seminary, uh, one of the first things that our seminary president told us, he told us, Jen, in life, typically speaking, as you grow in the knowledge of the Lord, your wisdom catches up. You grow in kind of similar level. But you have must watch out because seminary is a unique season of time where your knowledge completely overpaces your wisdom. When you just grow in knowledge without really letting the saturate into your heart, letting it grow in wisdom, you just become big head, become seminary jerks. And that stuck with me because oftentimes, oh, I know this now. Okay, I shouldn't say any morality. I should do this and do that. Knowledge isn't enough, Chelton. Would you let it drip down into your heart? It's not enough to just know that Jesus loved you. You must let that experience it to the heart level. That's how wisdom can grow. Embrace that wisdom. It's not enough to just to know that, oh yeah, Jesus loves me, this I know. Work that into your heart day by day as you walk with the Lord. In your most mundane private life, work that in. How do you do that? Paul shows us here. What did he say? Speaking to one another, verse 19, psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God. Shelton, is your life be filled with the psalms and songs? May the work of the Spirit really 
be evident in your life. Without the work of the Holy Spirit, you will remain in that head knowledge. Okay, I shouldn't sin today. It's a bunch of do's and don't. No, Paul's message much, is much more than that. Work that, drip that into your heart. Examine your heart. And if there's any darkness, expose that. Because you are not in darkness anymore. You are light in Christ Jesus. Get rid of that by bringing it to light. So what is it? Is your life really filled with the psalms and spiritual songs and the spirit? Make music. Whatever it takes for you to discipline yourself, to let the head knowledge drip into your heart, do it. That's how you can walk in wisdom, Shelton. And are you really giving thanks to God, verse 20, even in your hardships? It's easy to give thanks to God in my life. is great. But what does it say? Always giving thanks to God the Father for everything. Oh, I don't like giving thanks to God when somebody's yelling at me. I don't like it when somebody rubs me wrong. Oh, man, God, what am I learning from this? For are you truly trusting that God is sovereign in all things and giving thanks to him in all that you do? How do you do that? How do you live wisely? By turning from lust to light, by exposing darkness and embracing this wisdom, knowing that all are connected, where you rise, where you go to bed. May we walk in obedience and holiness. And where's another secret that this Paul is showing us in this passage? Did you notice in verse 19 he said, speaking to one another? It's talking about church. How do you encourage one another, church? When you meet another people in our church, do you really speak with one another in the name of love? I once read a research that as soon as group gathers, the number one thing people like to do is complain. All of a sudden, when people get together, they bring out all the complaint things that they are having a difficult time with. But it's just speech seasoned with thanksgiving that we spur on one another in the way of love and obedience and wisdom. May we be the people of God who are truly eager to gather together. May we be the people of God who truly encourage one another to expose our darkness. May we be the truly people of God who spur on one another. Let us walk in wisdom. Let us not somersault or backflip, putting a bunch of performance and show, but let us genuinely walk. Be really true to our redeemed self. Let us walk in light, in wisdom. Children, if you just don't know where to begin, what does 1 Corinthians say? But we preach Christ, the power of God, the wisdom of God. Jesus Christ does not only give you wisdom, he is the wisdom himself. Look to him. Behold our God. How do you live wisely today? Are you living a wise life, shunning what is evil, whether it be morality, impurity, greed, lust? Are you really bringing that to light today, or are you putting a bunch of fruitless deeds of performance of darkness? I pray that we all bring that to light before the Lord by looking to Jesus Christ, who has paid it all on the cross for us. Let's pray together. Oh God, it's easy to just talk about it as if we are exempt from it. It's easy to say amen while our lives are not transformed. But would you allow us to truly eliminate any speck of lust within us? God, would you strengthen us to turn from lust to light? 
which give us vulnerability, the courage to bring out darkness to light, expose that? Oh God, we are foolish often. We think we can do whatever we want in private and nothing will be found out. We can spend money in a way that we want. We can hoard as much as we want. We can have all kinds of thoughts without any consequence. But, oh God, by your gentle hand, I pray that you expose that. You bring that to light so that we may heal one another, spur on one another in the name of Jesus Christ. God, we look to you. We look to our Christ who has shown our wisdom. So, God, be with us as you continue to examine our heart this morning. In your name we pray. Amen.